my mom will be upset. Why? Two obvious reasons. Can you remember? One, obviously. God saves. If any of us are saved, it's by the sovereign grace of God. He does it, right? Obviously, we respond by faith, but He does the work. He does all the heavy lifting. So we're glad in the fact that God has saved us. Secondly, we know we can live our faith huge. This is not academic. This is not theoretical. We can live our faith. It's real because He's who He is. We don't live our faith huge because Jim Albright is such a strong believer. No, it's because my God is such a strong God. So this is why we're glad. Two reasons. Eternal security and the ability to live this life as God has intended. So as I thought about Psalm 97, he put a couple of sermons in my mind. And I think this is where we'll be for the next week or two. Um, I think it's good to talk about God's sovereignty and be encouraged uh, in light of what we learned in Psalm 97. Um, Yeah, even an average preacher never forgets an above-average introduction. And so I thought, we're going to be in the book of Esther. You guys are familiar, I think, with the book of Esther. If you're not, it's two books back from the Psalms. So go to the Psalms and go back two books. You'll be in the book of Esther. I'm going to preach the whole book, okay? In one setting, ten chapters. I know most of you don't think I can do this. It's all narrative. It's just a story. So I can do this. I can do this. But to open up with the book of Esther, the question I, that's always come to me as I studied Esther is, do you consider yourself a lucky person? Pardon me? Good point, brother. Excellent point. I'm going to make the point. If you're a Christian, you should never use this word again. Luck is nothing. Our God is sovereign. So, one of my exhortations to you is never use the word luck. Never let an unbeliever hear you use it. It's a meaningless word. It doesn't mean anything. What it is is a confession of ignorance, right? Because we don't understand all, that's, all the uh, impetus that's come to bear on a situation that brought, brought it to fruition, we call it, well, it must be luck. It's chance. It's random. It's uh, serendipitous. It's fortuitous. All of these words that don't mean anything. The Christian understands... God's in my life. God's working all things according to the counsel of His will. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. So, we don't talk about luck. We don't attribute anything to luck. <clears throat> we need to be sure that our unbelieving friends around us understand that luck is nothing. For instance, so if I flip this coin, is it luck? If it comes up heads or tails, what is it? You tell me. Is it luck or not? It's physics. It's just all physics. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a function of, you know, first of all, is heads up or tails up? It's a function of how hard I flip it. It's a function of how long I wait to catch it. 
Uh, it's a function of aerodynamics. It's a fun function of mass. It's just physics. But we can't write an equation to quantify it. We're not that smart. So we attribute it to luck or chance. It's physics. That's all it is. So I hope I can convince you that luck is nothing, chance is nothing. Again, it's a confession of ignorance. So please purge it from your vocabulary if in fact you ever use the phrase at all. Believers discover we have no need for this word. Our God is at work. And Orazio said it perfectly. I am blessed by the God who reigns. Psalm 97. He reigns. Let the peoples rejoice. Let the many islands be glad. Our God reigns. It's not luck. It's the sovereign providence of God. And I want you to know, and I want you to remember, the Bible doesn't talk like that, and you shouldn't talk like that either. So, let me ask you, was Abraham and Sarah lucky with the whole Isaac thing? Was Joshua lucky in rising to power in Egypt? Was Joshua lucky in um, taking the promised land? Was David lucky with the slingshot? We know, don't we? We know. God's behind it all. And the point tonight is that God is in your life. God is active in your life. God is behind all that is taking place in your life. You may know Psalm 103.19, His sovereignty rules over all. Not most, not some, all. There's no such thing as a rogue molecule in the universe. They all stand at attention when God speaks, right? No such thing as a rogue molecule. We understand that there are rebellious molecules in the form of moral creatures, <laughs> right? But when God speaks, do you remember Jesus in the, in the Gospels? When He spoke to the demons, what? They had to obey. And when He spoke to the water, it had to obey. When He spoke to the wind, it had to obey. God's in charge. And when He speaks, moral beings and the elements must obey. just want to share a couple of verses with you from Isaiah here. Listen to the Lord. Listen to what He says about Himself. I declare the end from the beginning, He says. My purpose will be established. I will accomplish all my good pleasure. My words shall not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the matter which I sent it. For surely as I have intended, so it shall happen. Just as I have planned it, it will stand, God says. Beloved, this is huge. If you ever get this, as I often say, you'll, you're, you're kind of free. You're kind of freed up to, to just go out there and be who you're supposed to be in Christ. God is sovereign. You're going to see it in Esther. It's just an amazing story. It's the, how many of you are familiar with the book? How many, how many of you know the story? Do you know the story well, the book of Esther? Um, it's just a phenomenal story. Again, God's in charge of the courses of the galaxies and the courses of the electrons within the single atom. You remember what Jesus said? And this is how, this is a first century way to talk about, you know, um, the first century uh, Jews didn't know anything about electrons and atoms and molecules. 
But this is how Jesus explained it, Matthew 10.29. Are not two sparrows sowed for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of My Father? There are countless trillions of... What's a number bigger than trillions? There are countless number of sparrows around the globe. Not one will fall to the ground apart from the will of God. Listen, if you don't have this huge view of God in your mind, you're not thinking biblically. And you probably have some pseudo-God in your mind. So, He is sovereign over amoebas and asteroids, bacterium, black holes, snails, supernovas, microbes, and man. I am reigns. He is no pretender. He is no imposter. I like David, what he says there in... in, in, um, Pardon me, what Daniel says in chapter 4, verse 35, God does according to His will in the hosts of heavens and among the inhabitants of earth. No one can stop the hand of God. I think I shared that verse with you last week. Psalm 115.3 Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. So, I want you to be encouraged tonight as we go through Esther that God is in all of the invisible providences that you don't even begin to Understand, sometimes you don't even see He's in them. He's intimately in the invisible providences. And if you actually believe what the book of Esther is teaching us, you'll come to see and understand that. The other thing I want to encourage you about is, which I often do, is if you're prone to worry, it's wasted time. It's just wasted time, right? Uh, We're going to see it in the text. It's just wasted time. What did did Jesus say in the red words? Luke chapter 12. Don't keep worrying. Matthew 6, He said, don't be anxious. Matthew 6 again, He said, don't be afraid. And I know we all deal with these things. But I want you to be encouraged tonight as we look at the book of Esther. If we don't trust God, it's really, it's, it's um, well, I'll just say it this way, it's unbelief. If we, if we claim to be believers, but we don't trust God, I think we have every reason to question whether we actually believe Him or not. So, as born-again believers, we're not here to wring our hands, we're here to lift our hands in worship of the true God, you guys know the song and I'll get into the text. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eyes on the sparrow and He watches over me. <laughs> so, I hope that's true in your life. So, listen, I'm, if you're open to the book of Esther, I'm just, we're just obviously going to sprint through it. Uh, but I'll tell you where I am and you can kind of follow along if you desire or you can just listen and then read the text at some later time. So there are two books in the Bible where God is not mentioned at all. Who wants to guess what they are? Obviously, you can guess one. What? Excellent, Eduardo. Excellent deduction. Esther's one. God is not mentioned. However, He's the main character, just like in your life. Now, some of you don't actually own that, and you don't live that. But He's the main character in your life. I think, did I share this with you a week or two ago? That um, C.S. Lewis talks about Adam and Eve. 
Adam and Eve wanted to be nouns, but they're only adjectives. Did I tell you this? I love this. God's the noun. He's always the noun. All you could ever be is an adjective. You can't, you can't take God's place. Right? You can't take God's place. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful thing to remember. So, God's not mentioned in Esther. God's not mentioned in the Song of Solomon. But what I want to say to you, in Esther, obviously, He is the main character. God is in all of the invisible stuff that we don't see and understand. All the things we attribute to luck or chance or serendipity or good fortune or whatever you would like to call it. The book of Esther is an illustration that God is sovereign, that we can trust Him and we can obey Him. One more verse and then we'll get into it. First uh, John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So, again, I know we're all prone to certain, different, or certain kinds of fears. It's all different for, for each of us. But God has loved us infinitely, everlastingly, and perfectly. And His love should cast out fear, particularly as we look at what He does in the book of Esther. His sovereignty is on display. So He's taking us to school. He wants us to see how He works invisibly. You have no idea what God is doing in the background. You have no idea. You have no idea how many times He's saved you. How many times He's protected you. How many times He's, he's intimately served you. You thought it just turned out well. Oh, guess what? God was in it. God was in it. You thought you orchestrated it. And you were so clever, you made it work out well. Well, I'm not going to disparage how clever you are. But you know what? God is behind the scenes. God's in the invisible stuff. God's doing His purpose and His will in your life. You, you've got to see life like this, beloved. You've got to see life like this. Okay, chapter 1. The book of Esther. Two books back from the Psalms. So I'm, not going, to, I'm going to use Xerxes. That's his Greek name. I can't say his Hebrew name, and I can't say his Persian name. The king of Persia. Okay? It's just easier. Xerxes is easier. So I'm going to say, I'm going to call him by his Greek name. His name is Xerxes. And we see here in chapter 1 that he hosts a great banquet, 180 days. Okay? 180 days to display his riches and his glory and his majesty. He calls his queen Vashti to come and to be seen that people may marvel at her beauty. Um, inexplicably, she does not come. I don't know that the text actually explains it. Um, I don't recall, but she does not come. Of course, Xerxes is enraged that she will not come. And his counselors are equally so. Um, the counselors, he tells uh, verses 13 to 17 in chapter 1, the counselors counsel the king that the queen's conduct is, sets a bad precedent for husband and wife relationships and that the wives in the provinces won't respect their husbands. So they are concerned about this. And the, and the counselors, his counselors advise him that what he needs to do is replace Vashti. 
Okay? And they say something like, um, yeah, I'm in chapter 2 now. Chapter 2, verse 2. They said, let all the beautiful young versions be sought for the king. Now, the king liked this idea a lot. He could get behind this idea, right? Let all the beautiful versions be sought for the king. So, chapter 2, verse 4, the matter pleased the king. Now, Esther, she is a Jewish orphan exile. She's being raised by her cousin, Mordecai. Now, you've got to remember his name. He's one of the main characters in the book, Mordecai. Um, Esther's cousin who is raising her. She's taken. The text actually says she was beautiful in form and face. She was taken as one of the young virgins to come into um, the preparation time for the king's consideration. So, um, 2.9 tells us that Esther found favor with the head eunuch. 2.12 tells us that she began her 12 months of beautification. I guess they're really, really beautiful after 12 months of beautification. It seems like a lot, but there you go. So, from um, chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Let me just look at that real quick. Chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. So Esther was taken to Xerxes to his royal palace in the tenth month. Verse 17, And the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she found favor and kindness with him more than all the virgins, so that he set his royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. What's going on behind the scenes here? She's a Jewish orphan exile one day, and then within about 12 to 18 months, she's queen of Persia. Now, You have to ask yourself, is she lucky? Is this fortuitous? Is this serendipitous? Is this some chance, random occurrence? Or is God doing something? Beloved, this is how you need to think about your life. What's God doing right now in the background? Why am I in Milan anyway? Well, I tell you this all the time. It's about God. It's not about your job or your studies. Preeminently, now, the pretext for you being here is your job or your studies. But why are you ultimately here? God means to do something in you and through you in Milan. You're here for Him. You're always on God's errand. If you're a Christian, you're always on God's errand. Some of you think you're on your errand. Well, you've been misinformed. You're on God's errand. In your family, in your business, in your career, in your job, in your neighborhood, you are on God's errand. So this is not a lucky break. Esther has been what? Positioned. We're going to find out later exactly why God has done this. Why He's put a Jew as queen over Persia. You guys probably know the story. He's positioned her to use her Oh, guess what? I don't even have to say it, do I? He's positioned you to use you in your job, in your family. God means to do something mighty where you are, through you. You say, well, Jim, I, you know, I'm just simple. I have a simple job. I have a simple family. I'm a simple person. I can't, God could never use me in any important way. And I always say that is exactly wrong. That's, that's, that's what Satan wants you to think about yourself. Okay? God has positioned you right now. We're going we're to hear Mordecai say it to Esther in just a little bit. 
Actually, Mordecai is going to say to her, who knows, maybe God has placed you here for such a time as this. Well, of course He has. Just like He has for you and me. Hey, I'll be honest with you. Um, we got 11 people here tonight. Um, I'm not here because the crowd's here. Okay? I'm here because God called us to be here. And Karen and I, it's like, um, this is how we think about it. You stay where God called you until God calls you to the next place. You don't leave. You don't leave. The last word we got from God was go to Milan and preach the Gospel. Right? 16 or 17 years ago. And he has, he's, never, he's never changed His command. So, you, you do what you do. You stay where you stay until you hear from the Lord because you are in a place where He purposes to use you. I want you to notice at the end of chapter 2, verses 21 to 23, Mordecai becomes aware of a plot to kill the king. Mordecai uh, foils the plot by making it public. This is forgotten, but it's going to come up again. Okay? Just want you got to know this. Mordecai saves the king. And this will come back. God means to use this. So, yeah, he's, uh, he helps save the king. As we move into chapter 3, we move into chapter 3. There's a guy named Haman. There's a guy named Haman, and he's become uh, a powerful uh, prince in the kingdom. And everybody bowed down to him except who? Mordecai. Mordecai wouldn't bow to him. Now, I'm not going to go into it. There's about a thousand years of bad blood between the Agagites, Haman was an Agagite, and the Jews. We're not going to go into that. But Haman was filled with rage and he hated Mordecai because Mordecai would not bow to him. And he hated this. Um, verses 3, chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Haman uses this as a pretext to get Xerxes to make a pronouncement to slaughter the Jews. Okay? He finds out Haman is a Jew. Pardon me, he finds out Mordecai is a Jew. And he gets Xerxes, who apparently doesn't pay attention to very much. He goes, Oh, okay, genocide? Yeah, no problem. And he signs off on it, right? So the, the decree's been issued. Haman has the right to complete genocide against the Jewish nation. You know the story. Mordecai finds out about this decree and this plan, and Mordecai gets word. I'm in chapter 4 now. Mordecai gets word to Esther. And he tells Esther, you've got to go tell the king what's about to happen. So, he goes and he talks to Esther. This seemed like a good plan to Mordecai, but not so much for Esther. Why is it, why is it, tough, for Esther to, why is it tough for Esther to obey this? Anybody remember the story? You, you can't just walk, even though she's the queen, she can't just walk into the presence of the king lest she be summoned. This is a capital offense. She could be put to death. Okay? Alright? And we've already seen how, I don't know, superficial this guy is. He, he, he gave Haman an opportunity to commit uh, genocide. 
without seemingly a second thought. So we obviously this guy is unpredictable. Who knows what he's going to do? I'm in chapter four, verse fourteen. Mordecai says to Esther, "For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews." How does he know that deliverance will come? How does he know? Does he believe in luck? Does he believe in serendipity? Does he believe in chance and, and random occurrence? What does he believe? He believes the promise of God that God gave to Abraham, right? That the Messiah would come through the Jews. He knows the Jews will not be wiped out. He knows it because God's God and God's made a promise. Alright? He knows it. So, he's saying to Esther, if you remain silent, God will deliver the Jews from another place. But who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time of this, for such a time as this. Of course she has. And see, you're in your job right now. You're in your school right now. You're in your place right now in your family because you've been positioned. God means to use you where you are. You know, I meet a lot of guys. Get, I, of course, I've been to seminary around ministry types all my life. And guys want to go do a great thing. Well, it's good to want to go do a great thing. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do a great thing for God. But you know what God has taught me over the years? Why don't you just be who you're supposed to be in Christ right there until I call you out of that place. Just be who you're supposed to be there. That's what, that's what we're learning in the, the book of Esther. God means for Esther to just be Esther and take advantage of the position that she has. Yeah, to save to save her people. No small thing. So again, Mordecai says, God will deliver His people whether you speak or not. Yeah. Obviously, God has put you in this place for such a time as this. And as I said, obviously, this is true for every believing man and woman. You guys know Ephesians 2.10. Walk in the good works which God's prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. I always have young people and they say, well, what does that mean? How do I know about the good works I'm supposed to walk in? It's always an easy answer. Do the micro that's in front of you, whatever the micro is in front of you, honor God in the micro. If there's a macro, He'll bring it to you. Okay? If there's a macro, He'll bring it to you. you. Your job is to do the micro. In your family, in your job, you be, the, you be the witness Christ has called you to be in the micro. If there's a macro for you, God will bring it to you. He'll make it clear. He's not playing hide and seek with you. So the challenge here for us, obviously, the implication is that we can be bold because He is in the invisible things. Uh, chapter 4, verse 16. Esther gets this. She says, I'll do it. Have the Jews of Susa fast and pray. And then this is one of the best lines in all the Bible. It's probably the most famous line in the book of Esther. What does she say? If I perish, I perish. Don't you love it? Don't you want to live like that? Let me, I'll just ask you, don't you want to live like that? Don't you want to be that kind of believer? That, you know, you're going to stand in the moment. You're not going to fold like a cheap suit when the pressure comes. You're not going to fold. 
She says, if I per-, she says, it doesn't matter. If I perish, I perish. But I know I'm here to do this. And I'm going to do this. And I leave it to God. You've got to learn to live like this, beloved. Trust God. We talked about it last week or the week before. What is the essence of biblical faith? What is it? That I believe right things? No, it's that you do right things. You trust God enough to do right things even when you get fired. Okay? Even when your spouse leaves. Right? You do the right thing because you trust God in the providence. You don't understand it all, but you know He's in it. If He's sovereign at all, and He says He is over and over and over in the Bible, if He's sovereign at all, He's in it. There's not one rogue molecule. And if you claim to be His, you know He's in your life. He's in it. You know, I meet so many Christians, they just they think way too small about themselves. You're a child of the King, man. Where you are matters. What you say matters. It matters. <laughs> God's going to change lives through you. God's going to change eternities through you. Just like He's going to do with Esther, right? He's going to save His people through Esther. You guys, you know, if I perish, I perish. You guys know the great text. Uh, Psalm 139, God has ordained our days. You're not going to die one day sooner or one day later than God has ordained. God knows the moment He's going to call you out of this life. So why be afraid? And why worry? You don't need to, beloved. If you want to, if some people just like to worry. If you want to worry, that's on you. You guys know Psalm 116. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His godly ones. When it happens, it happens, and it's precious to God. And what does Paul say? What does he say? To live is Christ. You know the rest. What? To die is gain. Do you believe that to die is gain? Do you really believe it? Esther did with her life. Paul did with his life, right? Most of us will never be in that situation. But God is calling us to live like we are. Okay? None of us probably in this room will ever face death because of our profession of faith. But God means for us to live with trust in Him no matter what the circumstances. Chapter 5, moving into chapter 5, Esther goes to Xerxes and by a stroke of good luck await. No, the providence of God, Xerxes receives her. Chapter 5, verse 2. Esther delays exposing Haman. Again, remember, Haman is after all the Jews. He's after Mordecai and all the Jews. Esther's a Jew. The, the text doesn't really explain it, but she delays. Okay? She delays um, in exposing Haman. The text again doesn't explain it. In chapter 5, verse 14, we see that Haman builds a gallows for Mordecai. He hates Mordecai so much, his friends and uh, family have, have counseled him to build a gallows to hang Mordecai on. Right? Okay, are you with me? You're following the, the narrative here? Oh, guess what happened in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4? The king could not sleep. This is just good luck for Mordecai, obviously. Good luck. It's good luck for Mordecai. The king couldn't sleep, and the king said, Well, 
He had one of his servants read the Chronicles. It just, it's just the history of what's happened in the kingdom. He had, a, he had one of his servants read the Chronicles. Oh, guess what's in the Chronicles? When Mordecai foiled the plot to kill Xerxes. Xerxes hears this and he goes, what's been done for this man? Right? And the servant says, nothing's been done for him. Nothing's been done for him. Haman walks in the door about that time, right? He's been summoned and Haman comes in and Xerxes asks Haman, what should be done for the man that the king wishes to honor? Haman thinks it's him. Right? He thinks it's him that's going to be honored. And so Haman thinks of the most you know, awesome thing he can think of. Well, let, let him ride the king's horse and let, him, let there be a procession through the, through the, uh, through the town and, and let all the people see how the king has glorified the man that the, uh, the king wishes to honor. And Xerxes says, let it be done for Mordecai. Now this is the guy that Haman had just come to get permission to kill. Are you, are, you, are you with me on this? <laughs> okay. Um, Mordecai, uh, pardon me, Haman has to honor Mordecai. Alright? Man, it's a lucky break that the king couldn't sleep. So Esther chapter 7, she reveals... Haman's plot to kill her people. Xerxes is incensed, although he signed off on it. Obviously, he's clueless. He's incensed. And one of the servants mentions, hey, there's a gallows over at Haman's house built for Mordecai. And Xerxes says, hang um, Haman on his own gallows. So the gallows that was built for Mordecai, actually his enemies hanged on them. You read the text, all the property of Haman is given to Mordecai. Now this guy, this is, you understand why when you read this text you have to think, well this guy's so lucky, right? You either believe in a sovereign providence of God or you think, this guy is so lucky. How could a guy be so lucky? I love this story. It's really kind of hard to do in, in one setting, but I'm, I'm doing the best that I can. Look what happened in chapter 8, verse 17. Look what happened in, in, in verse 17. They're at the bottom of the verse. 8.17 Because all of this had transpired, many among the peoples of the land became Jews. There was a lot of conversions going on. Esther did her job Mordecai did his job in the providence of God. People are converted. It always happens. It always happens. When you're the light, where you're supposed to be the light, people get converted. Okay? Yes, this is Old Testament. Yes, this is Judaism. But the principle uh, applies in the New Testament. You be who you're supposed to be in Christ. God will do all His good pleasure and He'll bring in a harvest. I think this is a beautiful, beautiful picture here. Many come to be converted. Let's pick up here chapter 9. Um, so we know that the decree had been sent out, right? We know that the decree had been sent out that the Jews could be massacred. Um, 
Xerxes gives Mordecai the authority to issue a counter-decree that Jews can defend themselves. Okay? Guess what happens? Guess what happens? The Jews destroy their enemies before their enemies can destroy them. This is really good luck, right? It's really good luck. This is what happens in the story. So, verse 5 of chapter 9, the, Thus the Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying, and they did what they pleased to those who hated them. Do you see? Do you, do you see? God's never mentioned in the book. Do you see what God is doing? In His, you know, He's got a sense of humor, obviously, right? The king couldn't sleep. <laughs> Everything turned on the fact the king couldn't sleep. God's in charge of your sleep. He's in charge of everything. And if you ever get to the place where you actually believe it, yeah, you'll, uh, you'll be an effective witness for the glory of God. So it made me think of Kadesh Barnea. You know I love that text where God is giving the Jews the promised land and they wouldn't go in because they didn't trust God. They didn't think God was God enough, you know, to give him to, to, to give them Canaan. They did they thought he was a you know um, an incompetent God. He couldn't keep his promise. Beloved, if we're going to learn one thing from Esther, we need to learn that God can do whatever he pleases in the lives of men. He does whatever he pleases. And whatever promise he's made to you, he will keep it. You just be who you're supposed to be where you are. And when it's time to move on, He'll give you the Word. Right? I'll be honest with you. I'm making a confession tonight. Eleven people? It makes me think, maybe it's time to move on. I, I promise you. I mean, this is a thought that comes into my head every year about this time. <laughs> but I know I'm here, and God brought us here, and I'm not leaving here until He calls me away. I'm not going to leave here because it seems like a good idea to me. I've seen too many Christians make shipwreck of their lives and their faith by trying to orchestrate something instead of simply waiting on God. You guys know the end of the story. Chapter 9, verse 22, there's this, the Jews are delivered, man. Not only is Esther delivered and Mordecai delivered, the whole nation, the whole uh, Jewish nation is delivered and it becomes like a, an annual celebration. It's called Purim, right? And I think the Jews still celebrate this. They still remember the mighty providence, invisible providence of God in the, the lives of His people. It's something that you ought to think about on a regular basis and give thanks for as well. So, I love verse 22, chapter 9. Because the Jews rid themselves of their enemies, it was a month which turned from sorrow to gladness and from mourning to holiday. The trial turned into the blessing. And then chapter 10, verse 3. We'll finish here. For Mordecai the Jew was second only to King Xerxes, he was great among the Jews and in favor with the multitude of his kinsmen. 
He's, he's a lot like Joseph. He became vice president of Persia just as Joseph became vice president of Egypt. You have no idea what God has in store for you. You have absolutely no idea. But here's what I want to say to you. Whether it's worldly accomplishment or some humble, anonymous thing God has for you, just do it with delight in God. Okay? Just delight in the micro and God will take care of the macro. Learn to delight in God in the micro. Just obey Him in it and He will take care <clears throat> of the rest. So it all hung on the fact that Xerxes could not sleep. Invisible, sovereign providence. I always love Psalm 127 too. Listen to what he says. God gives to His beloved even while He sleeps. Don't you love this? God gives to His people even while they sleep. Now God's the giver of sleep. I've known insomniacs and it's, it's a hard thing. And sleep is a gift. Some of you just take it for granted. Oh, I fall asleep. It's a gift from God. Right? But even in your sleep, God is... Providing. God is, what does it say? He gives to His beloved even in His sleep. So beloved, Esther is not about accidental, fortuitous chance occurrences. It's about a sovereign God who's alive and well today, who's reigning on His throne and, it, and is in every aspect of your life. It's like when Karen got cancer. We never questioned it. It wasn't like, oh, this is bad luck. It's not about luck. This is a stupid word. It's a vacuous word. It doesn't mean anything. God's doing something we don't understand. God's going to make Himself great as Karen is healed, right? And as Karen walks through it making much of Jesus, not bemoaning the fact that, poor, poor me, I got cancer. She never went there. Ever. I'm her husband, I can tell you. She received the providence of God. She praised God in it. She became a tremendous witness to the whole church back in 08, 09. And people were changed because of what they saw in her. So I want you to remember this. In the Exodus, God put His power in display for the whole world to see as He delivered His people with obvious power. In Esther, God puts His invisible, supernatural sovereignty on display as He delivers His people with His providential control over all things. God can use His power or God can use His invisible providence to get His purposes accomplished. So, made me think of... I'm done. Just a few more comments. Made me think of Elisha. You know the story? You remember when they were surrounded? Elisha and his servant were surrounded by, I think it was the Syrian army, and the servant was kind of losing it, right? You remember what, you remember what Elisha said to him? He said, man, there's more, there, there are more with us than there are with them. And, 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 God, and Elijah asked God, he said, open my servant's eyes that he might see. And his eyes were open, and there were angel armies all around them, Right? Elijah said, there's more with us than there are against us. This is always true. This is always true in your life. The, the question is whether you choose to believe it or not. 
there are always more with you than there are against you. More importantly, apart from angel armies, is the sovereign ruling and reigning God of the universe. So tonight, I just want to encourage you to trust God with your fear right now. If you're afraid right now, I say, you just leave it right here. Just drop it where you are and we'll have, we'll have the guy sweep it up tomorrow. Okay? Whatever you're afraid of, just drop it right here. Your God's bigger than that. And whatever you're worried about, however much time you spend, you, I know I say this a lot, but however much time you spend wringing your hands, it's wasted time. You could be worshiping. You could be raising your hands instead of wringing your hands. Right? So whatever fear you have, just drop it right here. Delight in God. You say, Jim, you don't know my circumstance. I don't need to know your circumstance. I know the God you profess to love, know, and follow. I know Him. That's all you need to know. That's all I need to know. I don't need to know your circumstance. <laughs> you read a book like Esther and it's like, wow! You know, it's, if you don't know it well, I challenge you to go study it for yourself. So the, the, the second thing I want to encourage you is... is uh, yeah, get to know Him as He is. Not some cheap denominational caricature. Get to know the God of the Bible. And, it, it, and you can't do that unless you read it. Unless you read the Bible. And you immerse yourself in the Bible. So here's my application. How many of you remember, and you can have this coin if anybody gets this, two euros, okay? Two euros. That's what's on the line right here. How many of you remember what my apologetic is now. Does anybody remember what my apologetic is? I, I, I think I talked about this a week or two ago. Does anybody, anybody remember what my apologetic is? See? Could have been two euros, man. I think you can get a, like a cheeseburger down there for two euros. Right? You can't get the fries unless you cough up some more. My apologetic is gone. My apologetic is God. Apologetics are just a defense, of the, a defense of the faith. So here's my application. God's my application tonight. What's your application, Jim? God. Look at God. Be in awe of God. Live like you know Him and you've seen Him and you are in awe of Him. Yeah. <laughs> He's in all the invisible stuff. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for this wonderful text. It's been a long time since I've been in it and uh, I love it. We notice that You're not mentioned, but we can't help see Your invisible hand at every turn. And Lord, I pray that we could come to understand that that's true for our personal lives as well. That we would, in fact, trust You. This wouldn't just be tongue-wagging and church going, this would be, I trust You. Whatever comes, I trust You. And so Lord, whatever comes in each of our lives, and it may be hard, sometimes it will be, help us to have faith. Help us to be the light. Help us to be who You've called us to be. Just like we saw in the book tonight, that many would be converted. So we love you. We praise you. What a great and awesome God. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together and I'll read our beloved benediction, which is powerful. The Lord bless you and keep you. It's the text, right? It's Esther. The Lord make His face shine on you. It's Esther. And be gracious to you. It's Esther. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. It's Esther. I love the Bible. It just holds together. It doesn't really matter. You can, you can read a, a, section from, uh, a text from one section or a text from another section, and, and, and it fits. It all fits together. So I hope you have a, a great week. God bless. Hope to see you next time. If you can, drag someone else in here. Okay? Just, just anybody. Just drag them here. Pay them money. Whatever you have to do. Okay? <laughs> Love you guys. Have a great week.